thank you, Ronnie. Thank you for the invitation to come and be here at First Colony again. I hope you all know what a wonderful congregation you have to be a part of here. I mean, after singing like that, if that doesn't set your heart on fire, your wood is just wet. That's all she wrote. So I, I appreciate it. I just wish I had half the enthusiasm that Jack the guitar player did, man. I just, just, just got to love that. And then Joel set the church on fire. So we're, we're ready for, for, an, for a new year. Uh, I do appreciate Ronnie's invitation. He has been a friend and a brother and example to me for a long, long time. Um, I remember being in junior high school and going to hear Ronnie speak. And so I, uh, I, have, I have, if you're a guest here today, I want to congratulate you, especially you have perfect attendance in church so far this year. So, in fact, even you members do too. Tell the person next to you, you've got perfect attendance, and we want to keep that up. Uh, we're so thankful to have you here or to have you online as well. Uh, there are so many things that this church does well. I've already been greeted. We've been treated with such hospitality and warmth, connected with friends and folks that we've known in years past. But I love the way this church lifts up Jesus in this community. And if you're a guest here like me, I hope you've already discovered you're at a place that really believes Jesus is the answer. Can I get an oh yeah out of First Colony on that? Jesus is the answer. And so we'll begin the new year after, let me do one thing, I want to bring you greetings and ask for your prayers as we serve at Pepperdine University. How many of you have ever been out to Pepperdine's campus? Some have. How many ever just maybe been out to Malibu or, or to Los Angeles? How many have been anywhere in the state of California? We'll do it that way. Huh? How many will not raise your hand no matter what question I ask you? Okay, thank you for your honesty, ma'am. Um, Pepperdine University is in Malibu, California. This is a picture of our campus. It is a beautiful place to serve. We have about uh, 3,000 undergrad students there, many of whom don't know Jesus. And so it is a mission opportunity. Please keep us in your prayers. And you've been kind enough to invite me to your place, so let me invite you to ours. We host every year a program called Harbor. It takes place the first few days of May. And this year, Harbor is going to be about no other Jesus. And the dates are May 3rd through the 6th. And you say, wow, man, I know Malibu is an expensive place. Here's what we do. It's after school closes, so we open up our dorms, and you can get an ocean view room with your food included for the full three days of the conference for only 250 bucks. Yeah, I know. You can't get a Motel 6 in Malibu for 250 bucks. And I'm sure some of the guys here are saying, well, that's the anniversary trip I can afford right there. All right, babe. Come on out. We would love to have you come. There'll be over 200 speakers from all across the country that speak, and we'll have a gathering. Can you imagine singing with two or 3,000 Christians? Uh, we have gatherings of that nature uh, during the week of Harbor. So uh, you can look that up. Just look up Pepperdine and then Harbor, those two words, and you'll, you'll find the program. Uh, my wife is indeed with me, along with uh, Brad and Vonda Snyder and, and Taylor. Uh, these are good friends who years ago uh, were part of our church in Southern California, was 13 years there with the Mission Viejo Church of Christ, and I've often said that it was some of the best sleep the Snyders ever got were during my lesson, so I'm, I'm glad they're, they're here today to relax and, and, and enjoy that. I also uh, want to say that it is a blessing to be in Texas because this is where my dad was from. 
My father was a minister in California all his life, but he was born in Big Spring. Anybody know where Big Spring, Texas is? Up right north of you guys, just a little ways. And as I think about my dad and I think about my mom and the blessings that I had, I think about a lesson that is all about my mom's favorite Bible character. And it's, I think, a good way for us to start the year. If you have your Bibles, would you turn over to Hebrews chapter 11, or if you've got a phone or some other glowing device, I want to show you something in Hebrews chapter 11. To get there, I need to tell you something about my middle son. Uh, you know, during COVID, it is said that more people changed jobs during the time of COVID than in, in any previous year for quite a while. And COVID was a challenge. Can I get an oh yeah on yet? Those of you maybe who are still here online with us understand that sometimes the tensions and the frustrations and the things that just, that just seem to get in our way, get in the way of our vision, or even, and I, I brought one with me just in case because I didn't know, uh, our, our masks, right? Uh, I even, they, we gave us Pepperdine masks with a little P on it there. But I'm telling you, I have never been so excited to come here and be on the, with Paul on the road to demask us by take. <laughs> I've been waiting to say that, I gotta tell you. Ronnie will use that, I know that. We are all so ready to say goodbye to COVID. Can I get an oh yeah on that? But at the same time, we're realizing that it is part of living in a world that is already but not yet. This world already belongs to Jesus. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Can I get an amen? And yet this world is not yet what it one day will be. The renewal of all things, the one that makes all things new, as Ronnie mentioned earlier today, that process, we're caught in between in between that which will be and that which is, in between the brokenness and frustration in our world. And it leaves us always feeling like, man, there's just, there's just something that I'm missing. So my middle son had been in his job a while. He's a videographer. And by the way, thanks to the, all the folks who work in video here so that those online can be watching. We appreciate what you do. And so he, uh, I was talking to him a couple years ago, and he said, Dad, ah, Rich got the job. And I said, what job? He said, the job that I would love to do someday. I said, what is it? He's working in the Fox Sports truck. I said, he's a truck driver? No, no, no. It's the big truck that they park outside of the arenas, basketball arenas and football arenas. I said, what does he do in the truck? He does the sizzle reel. What's a sizzle reel? I don't know what a sizzle reel is. Oh, he said, yes, you do. You've seen hundreds of them. Anytime you watch a basketball or a football game, when it comes to the commercial time, right before the break, they show a sizzle reel. I said, no, no, no. I said, he said yeah, they do. It's only three, three or four seconds long. It's the best shot of that last period. The music starts, and they re-show the three-point shot, or they re-show the coach getting mad, or in a football game, they re-show that end-zone catch and the guy doing the chicken dance. He says, that's called the sizzle reel. And there's one guy or gal who works in the truck, and their responsibility is to pick the best shots from that period. But they only can do it up till eight seconds before. And at eight seconds before, they have to make a decision which of the shots they're going to use. So there'll be a sizzle eight, which means they start digitally pulling down. Okay, we'll use this one. Maybe we'll use these two. Maybe just this one. They'll put music with it. And then three, two, one, boom. And it goes out on national television. He said, doesn't that sound like a dream job? I said, it sounds like a nightmare to me. I mean, it sounds like a stomach ache. I mean, that, that would be just a little bit stressful. But I started thinking about the challenge 
of taking maybe 15 minutes of play and taking it down to three seconds, right? How do you, how do, you do that? And then, Ronnie, I realized that a verse of Scripture, a chapter we've all read many times, Hebrews chapter 11, is God's set of sizzle reels. Because over and over in Hebrews chapter 11, he takes stories that may be 6, 8, 10, even 13 chapters and boils them down to one verse. Now, he does it all, the Hebrew writer does, with this kind of uh, caveat. He says in Hebrews 11:1, 1, Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Now, a moment ago, I talked about what is and what will be. And the Hebrew writer stands right in the middle, and he says, okay, faith, can you all say faith? No, can you say faith like you believe in it? Here we go. Faith, all right. So faith is confidence in what we hope for. We don't have it yet, we're hoping. It is assurance. Can you all say assurance? In fact, here, take, take your hand, do this, like assurance, like you're really sure. They, 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 they tell me at Pepperdine, the teachers say that it's kinetic learning. So here we go. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not yet see. And he goes on to say this is what the ancients, he uses that word to describe these Old Testament heroes, what the ancients were commended for. And then he launches into the sizzle reel. Over and over again, he's going to take stories that are, well here, for instance, Noah's story, six plus chapters in the Old Testament. If you had to boil Noah's story down into one sentence, what's Noah's big three-point shot? What's the one thing you got to include in it? Yeah, the ark, right? Take a look. Here's what the scripture says. By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, can you read it with me, built and to save his family. That was Noah's big three-point shot. Or, or Abraham. Do you remember when God comes to Abraham and said, come leave your country and your people and go to a land that I will show you? Abraham had no idea where he was going. So that's one of the things the Hebrew writer says, here's his three-point shot. In fact, it says that he obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. You know, I've been driving a rental car the last couple of days, and I know that sentence really well, driving in Houston on freeways. Wait a minute, hold it. Was that the turn? 903? Which one did we want? Y- y'all understand? Only Abraham had God say, I'm going to lead you to a promised land. Abraham said, where is it? God says, I'm not going to tell you. Just follow me. I want you to leave, and you're going to go someplace. Well, you haven't seen it. You don't know where it is, but I'll get you there. Do we have any fellow control freaks in the audience right now? Don't point, ma'am. We, we understand, but just he's like, I'm married to one right here. Are, are you the kind of person that, that just, you know, show it to me in the map. Years ago, I was in a gospel meeting in Texas, and a fellow said, now we're all going to go over to Brother So-and-So's house after. I said, okay, great. How do you get there? He said, well, just follow me. And I'm like, oh, no. I can't. He said, well, it's, I mean, it's, it's down by the tank and then by the big truck. And I'm thinking, okay, all right. So I get behind him, and and all of a sudden, I am hanging on for dear life with these two red lights being the only thing with me and being lost in East Texas, thinking, oh, man, well, that's exactly what God called Abraham to. Abraham packed up his things, was loading up, and the neighbor said, where are you going? Abraham said, I have no idea. Well, how are you going to know when you get there? God will say, stop, I guess. I mean, I'm just following him. Now, if that feels weird, that's the life we're all living 
God says, follow me, and I'm going to take you to some place you haven't seen, can't even imagine. I don't know what heaven's going to be like, Ronnie, but I believe it's going to be great. But if you ask me to draw a picture, I, I don't know. I mean, these beautiful stained glass work you've got up here, you know, this marvelous color, but how could we possibly picture heaven? Well, Abraham didn't know where we're, he was going, but he knew it was the promised land. So, okay, do you see that how it works? You boil it down to just one little sentence. All right, I'm going to name a Bible character, and I want you to tell me how you'd boil that Bible character's life down to one sentence. This was the one. This was my mom's favorite one. She had a shoebox with all the necessary flannel graph in it. You don't know what flannel graph is? YouTube it. It's pretty cool. It's like early PowerPoint. So she had these, these little flannel cutouts that she would use to teach in Bible class. And her favorite character was the 11th son of Jacob. Y'all know who the 11th? You teach on the Old Testament sometimes, Brother Norman, I assume here. The 11th son. Everybody remember who Jacob was? Okay, let's back up a little bit here. Um, God made the world. And then 10 generations later, he, you know, he cleans it off with Noah. And then he calls a man named Abraham, right, to... to come and leave his, and Abraham married a woman by the name of Sarah, and Abraham and Sarah had a child, the name was Isaac. Isaac married Rebekah. Isaac and Rebekah have the first twins we read about in the Bible. Their names are Esau and Jacob. All right, good. Jacob has 12 sons, right? It almost, he, Jacob had even more kids than Joel, right? Okay, he had 12 sons. So he had Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun, and then he had two more. The last one he named Benjamin. But the second to the last one starts with a J. Hey, very good. Some VBS graduates. Okay. Starts with a J. Ends with Osef. Everybody say it. Joseph. Joseph. Now, would you please at this point close your Bible? I know preachers don't normally tell you this, but I'm asking you to close, close, close your Bible up. Don't, don't look at your phone. Because Joseph's entire life is summed up in one sentence. One. Now, those of you who know Joseph's life, you're going, wow. I mean, it's not as easy with Noah. The ark is clearly what goes in the sizzle reel, but what about Joseph? If you don't know Joseph's life, buckle your seatbelt. I mean, it is better than a six-flag ride. It, 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 it is just crazy. Joseph starts out as his father's favorite. Daddy loved Joseph. Remember, he gave him that coat, the coat of many colors, and he was the 11th kid. All those older brothers hated him. And, you know, sometimes I think Joseph kind of leaned into it. God gave Joseph a dream one day. So he comes to breakfast the next morning and he tells his big brothers, hey guys, I dreamed. And you're like, oh please, the dreamer, give us a break. No, no, I dreamed about you. I dreamed you were all stars in the sky. And his brothers must have been, yeah, that's right, we are. He says, I dreamed I was a star too and mama was the moon and daddy was the sun. And then all of a sudden in my dream, all of your stars and the sun and the moon bowed down to me. I mean, isn't that just asking your big brother for a beat down to tell him about a dream like that? 
And he had another dream, you know, about sheaves of wheat that did the same thing. And his brothers were just like, I am so sick of him. Daddy loves him, gives him this special fancy coat. And so one day, his brothers are out in the field, and they grab him and try and kill him. They throw him in a well. Well, it doesn't kill him. And others are saying, well, okay, here, let's just throw rocks on him and kill him. And some are saying, no, no, we can't do it. It's his brother. And then some Ishmaelite traders come by, and one of them says, wait a minute, we'll sell him. Let's make some money out of this deal. We'll sell him into slavery. They sell him the Ishmaelite traders, and the last thing they do before they kiss him goodbye is they grab that beautiful coat off his back, and they dip it in animal's blood, and they take it home, and they break their father's heart with it. Dad, we're so sorry. Joseph got killed by a wild animal. And while Jacob weeps over his favorite son, Joseph is being pulled to Egypt I hope they let him ride the camel, I don't know. But by the time he got there, he must have been saying, God, what did I do wrong? Why is this happening to me? Have you ever had people that ought to love you and protect you turn their back on you? Have you ever had people that you trusted? Maybe even family mistreat you? Joseph says, I know what that feels like. And yet... He seems to continue to trust God because God says, I'm going to be with you, Joseph. Joseph is put up on a block in Egypt and sold as a slave. And the guy that sold him, or that bought him rather, is the head of the supermax prison. His name is Potiphar. Joseph is taken and going from being daddy's favorite with his special coat, he ends up sold into slavery and cleaning out cells. Now, these were not nice cells. These were cold stone cells that were everything for the prisoner, including his bathroom. And here is Joseph on his hands and knees. How many weeks, how many months was he there saying, when's my dad coming for me? When will someone come and deliver me? And no one does. You ever felt abandoned by God? I think Joseph knows what that feels like. And yet, God was with him. In fact, he was so with him that everything his hands touched seemed to prosper. And his boss, Potiphar, said, man, you are awesome. I'm going to make you manager. And pretty soon, I'm going to make you ruler over the prison. And sure enough, he becomes the right-hand man to this guy. Everything in his house, he says, you're in charge of everything. Wow. From daddy's favorite to sold into slavery to man in charge of everything. You think, whoa, just wait. Then he meets Potiphar's wife. Do we all remember this part of the story? A little awkward here. Because Potiphar's wife thinks Joseph is hot. Here's the way the Bible says it. It says that she noticed that Joseph was handsome and well-built. And I know that many men in this church know that burden <laughs> of, of being the guy that gets noticed in the mall. Whoa, dude, who is that, right? Turning, oh, you, you know, guys, you know what that feels like. So did Joseph. Only the problem was it turned the head of his boss's wife and she starts coming on and says, hey, hey, good looking. What you got cooking? How's about cooking? You know the rest of that, right? And sure enough, she starts, she starts coming on, flirting with him. And Joseph is like, whoa, whoa, no, no, no. Now think, this guy's 18, 19 years old, right? Here's a woman in charge, a woman in power. And she's saying, come on, baby, nobody knows. And yet Joseph has the courage to say, no, 
I wouldn't dishonor God. I wouldn't dishonor your husband that way. But this woman won't quit. She just keeps coming. And finally grabs him and says, come to bed with me. And Joseph is like, whoa. And this brilliant young man, in a moment where, I mean, at some point, guys, let's be real. Wouldn't you have said, she's got my coat. There's nothing I can do. I mean, wouldn't you just have kind of said, oh, God, I can't. Joseph leaves the coat in her hands, running out the door to every teen in the room. Sometimes the smartest thing you can do is get out of temptation's room. Can I get a, oh, yeah? from my wrinkled homies who've been there, can I, can, I, can, I, can I get a oh yeah that says sometimes it is the smartest thing to just get out of Dodge. Well, that's exactly what Joseph does. Unfortunately, the coat was still in Potiphar's wife's hand when her husband walked home that day and she said, look what your servant tried to do to me. He tried to attack me. He tried to rape me. Well, Potiphar does what any husband does. He goes up in flames and he gets Joseph and he throws him and he locks him up in prison. His title is actually chief executioner. As you translate that Hebrew, it's possible that he was planning to kill Joseph. Anybody here ever do the right thing and get in trouble anyway? Anybody here ever make the godly choice and then get beat up for it? Joseph says, I know what that feels like, friend. And yet he keeps trusting God. In his cell, waiting, hoping, two other prisoners are stuffed in there. And what do you know? It's the butler and the baker for the king. The cupbearer and the baker for Pharaoh. And they're in the cell. And, 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 and they're saying, oh man, we're here. You know, somebody says, why were they put in the cell? Think with me. You want to assassinate a ruler, how do you do it? Well, you don't have a long-range gun, right? So what are you going to do? You're going to sneak some poison in his food. You're going to sneak some poison in his wine. And so if these two aren't trusted, they're in prison. And they both said, sir, we've had the weirdest dreams. And I can imagine Joseph saying, don't talk to me about dreams, man. Dreams have messed up my life. Oh, but please, if you know dreams, interpret our dreams. And they tell him their dreams. And Joseph says, okay, all right, yeah, my God can interpret your dreams. He turns to the butler, the cupbearer, and says, you're going to be back working for Pharaoh in two months. And he says, yay! He turns to the baker and says, and you, you're going to be dead in two months. And sure enough, that's what happened. This guy got hung. This guy goes back to Pharaoh's palace. And as he does, Joseph says, remember me to your master. And he doesn't. He forgets him. Ever been forgotten by a friend? Joseph says, I know what that feels like. Oh, by the way, you have one sentence. Everything I've just told you, I need one sentence. What's, what's the three-point shot from that? And we're not done yet, right? Because when Joseph is down there in prison, guess who else has a weird dream? Pharaoh. When his cupbearer comes to him with his drink in the morning, he says, oh man, I just, I, I didn't sleep. What is it, sir? I had the weirdest dream, Pharaoh says. I dreamed that seven fat cows came up out of the Nile River. And right behind them came seven skinny cows. And the skinny cows ate the fat cows. But they didn't gain any weight. Which is the diet I've been looking for, right? All the beef you can eat, no gaining weight. Pharaoh says it was the weirdest thing. I had the same dream with ears of corn. I wish somebody could interpret them. And all of a sudden, the butler goes, I know a guy. I know a guy who does dreams. Well, where is he? Sir, he's down in the prison. Well, go get him. They go get Joseph. 
Can you imagine? You're being drugged from being in the pit all the way to the palace and now standing before Pharaoh who says, I understand you interpret dreams. Joseph says, well, actually God does. Okay, fine, interpret my dream. He tells him the dream and Joseph says, oh, sir, I I don't know if you really want to know because you see those seven fat cows that you dreamed about, they represent seven years of really great harvest. But the seven skinny cows, they represent seven years of famine. And the, during the seven years of famine that will follow seven years of great harvest here in Egypt, your people will eat up all the grain that they had during the seven good years, and your country will starve. Pharaoh says, well, we've got to do something about this. I need somebody wise. I need somebody who can, you. And sure enough, he makes Joseph his new head of agriculture. Joseph goes from being the prisoner to the head of agriculture in one day. And he does such a great job that Pharaoh says, I'm making you my vice president. I'm making you my right-hand man. You see, during the seven years of good harvest, he keeps back more of the grain than anyone thought would be appropriate. And then during the years of famine, that is enough grain not only for them, but for other people. And guess who down in Canaan hears about, there's grain in Egypt, but 11 starving boys who say to their father, we've got to go up to Egypt and get some of that grain. There's a man up there with grain, Genesis says. And they come trooping into the hallway. I want you to get this picture. Here's the 11 guys who wrecked his life. And they come walking in before Joseph. Now, they don't know it's Joseph. They just know it's the man in charge. And guess what they do when they stand before him? They bow down, just like the dream. Now, can I ask you, if you had the seven people, or probably the 11 people in front of you, or the 10 who had wrecked your life all of a sudden, and you were the guy in charge, and they're bowing down, wouldn't this be, thank you, Lord, payback time, and you, oh, I, not Joseph. Joseph won't do it. Now, you understand why they didn't recognize him, because he's now been in Egypt over a decade he didn't look like them anymore. I mean, you know, he recognized them because they're still in their VBS costumes, but here he is, and, and, and he's talking like an Egyptian and dressing like an Egyptian, right? In other words, he talked like an Egyptian and walked like an Egyptian. I mean, you know what I'm saying? So here is Joseph being able to hide behind all of this, but he's not going to destroy them. He's not going to throw them in jail. In fact, all right, he pulls their chain a little bit to get Benjamin up there with that golden cup shenanigans. But basically, he says, guys, and kind of Scooby-Doo, you know, he pulls off the headdress in my mind and says, it's me. Now, they all go, oh, no, (laughs) it's Joseph. And Joseph says, don't be afraid, because what you intended for harm, God intended for good. And so he saves their lives. Oh, by the way, he saved yours. He said, what do you mean he saved my life? Hang one with me. Remember he saved Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and who was that fourth son? Name starts with a J, ends with Uda. Take your time on this one. Yeah, Judah. You know who Judah was? Judah was the great, 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 great grandfather or so of Jesus Christ, who was called the Lion of 
Joseph saved the lineage of the one who saved everybody in this building. Can I get an amen? Wow, God, what an unbelievable story. He even gets his dad, and they all come, and they live in Egypt, and Joseph gets to be an old man and dies. And you got one sentence. One. What would you put in? Seriously. You got to put in the dreams, right? I mean, at least saying no to Potiphar's wife. But what about saving all of Egypt and, and Judah? And now, prepare yourself. I was stunned when I read Hebrews eleven twenty two. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. Who was in the truck when that sizzle reel was put together is what I want to know. I mean, I'm serious. Look at it. There's nothing up there about the, about the dreams. There's nothing up there about saving. I, I, here, read it with me. Maybe we just need to read it with good forte. Here we go. Um, by faith, when his end was, spoke about the, of the Israelites from, just read the rest, and Doesn't make you want to say hallelujah, really, does it? I mean, it's not one of those verses you want put on a, a poster, right? And then, put it back up there just a second. And then I started thinking, I don't even remember that. I mean, I've read the Bible, right? You know, I, I don't remember that. I had to, you know where that comes from? That comes from Genesis chapter 50, the last chapter. In fact, it's the last paragraph of the last chapter of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. And when I went back there and read it, light bulb. Here, l listen to it. You get over to Genesis. First, let me read 22. Joseph stayed in Egypt along with his father's family and lived to be 110 years old. Wow. And had the third generation of Ephraim's children. So, so he got to bounce his great, great, great grandkids on his knee. And he's 110. Now watch what it says. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die. Well, he's at 110, so he probably said, I'm about to die. <laughs> but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, oh, what was his name? Isaac and Jacob. And verse 25, and Joseph made the Israelites swear on oath. And he said, God will, everybody say, surely surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up from this place brother I'll, I'll level with you i didn't get it the first time or the second time it took me a while to realize why that is his three-point shot that is a brilliant moment think about this joseph and his family by the time he dies he's been in egypt 80 years and every year, on his birthday, surely he's saying, now remember, God made a promise to us. Now remember, God made a promise to us. And on his 110th birthday, now remember. And the little kids are like, if he does the promised land speech again, I'm going to throw up. I mean, every year, we're leaving here. We're going to the promised land. Maybe next year, God's promised he's going to come through. Somebody needs to tell the old guy, great-great-grandpa, it ain't happening. I was born in Egypt. 
My mom was born in Egypt. My mom's mom was born in Egypt. We're Egyptians, dude. And Joseph is like, no. We are God's people. And he made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And don't you forget it. Come on, you can relate. How many years have we been singing? Soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. Soon and very soon, we are going to see. Isn't it fair that somebody say, excuse me, didn't your mama sing that song? Yeah. Didn't your grandma sing that song? Yeah. So soon? Really? Maybe the king isn't coming. And Satan says, yeah, that's right. Look around. It's stinking 2022. It's 2,000 years since Jesus was on the earth. When are you people going to give it up? And Joseph reaches out through history and says, watch this. Excuse me. Great-grandson. Great-great-grandson. Uh, whoever you are, come here. I want you to pinky swear something with me. I want you to promise. And all my brothers that are still alive, I want you to promise too. When grandpa dies, do not bury me. Grandpa, this is weird. What do you want us to do? Just put my bones in a box and let them rot until finally there's nothing left but bones. And then I want you to take the bones with you. So how am I supposed to do that? You got a backpack? Yeah, I got my school backpack. All right, get your school backpack and put my bones in your school backpack. And wherever you go, take them with you. Okay, Grandma, that's, that's weird, Grandpa. What am I going to say when some kid says, what's in your backpack? Oh, my great-great-grandpa. Why you got him in your backpack? I don't know. Yes, you do. Here's what you tell him. He's in your backpack because he's not staying here because this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. And my treasures are laid up in a promised land. That's the message. That's the three-point shot. That's how we in our generation, and I'm speaking here again to my seasoned friends, that's how we in our generation hand to these students in this next generation and the ones that are back in children's Bible hour who are saying soon and very soon, and we say yes. And it may be a year, it may be a week, it may be a hundred years, but if God says he's going to do it, he will be faithful. He will Joseph's language, surely, everybody say surely, he will surely come to your aid. Brothers and sisters, the greatest challenge of the church is not all of the things that often get talked about. It isn't war in the Middle East, it isn't climate change, and it isn't COVID. Although all those are real and true challenges, let me tell you what the great challenge is, that we will not pass from one generation to the next Joseph's simple idea. Dude, Look where you're going. Look where you are. That's Joseph's advice. Look where you are going. Keep your eyes on where you're heading. Because you and I get caught up right here, don't we? Oh my goodness, what's happening there? Oh, look at what Russia's going to attack you, Ukraine. Oh my, look how many. Oh no, there's a new Omicron variant. And, and it's all right here. And Joseph says, hey friend, where are you going? Because a bunch of that stuff won't matter when you get where you're going. Can I get a oh yeah? 
In fact, a bunch of that stuff doesn't matter in your life truly today because what you need to do is put your eyes on where you're going because soon and very soon we will, we will see the king. How are you passing that on to your kids? Can they see that you're looking where you're going? By the way you spend your time, your treasure, your talent. Do they hear it at the dinner table? Do they hear it when you sing joy to the world that one day we're all going to sing around the throne of God? Amen? Do they, do they see that when we worship? Do they know that we believe it? Even like Joseph, when we go through ups and downs and ups and downs, we say God will see us through because He is faithful. Joseph said, I'm going to die and I'm not going to get to see the promise. But even when I'm dead, I never want you to forget. We're going to the promised land. What a powerful choice Joseph makes. So where are you? Stuck like this? Or is Joseph saying, for 2022, let's look at where we're going. I'll tell you, Pastor, I saw a lady in the Chicago airport text her way right into a pillar. She, 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 I always say she's an executive because she was dressed so sharp and she had this fancy black Timmy roller bag and she had her, her phone in her hand like this and she was barreling. She must have been late because she wasn't paying attention. She rolled the bag right over my foot. It didn't even look up. And I'm like, whoa, that's the only reason I saw her. And then I saw her head down, texting like this, rushing straight towards this pillar. And if you've been to Chicago airport, you know there's these giant, I mean giant pillars in there. And this lady's head is down. And I'm thinking, she's going to run right in that pillar. And I, you know, I thought, what do you do? I just watched. <laughs> I mean, I knew she really wasn't going to hit it, right? I knew she wasn't. You've seen it. You know, somebody's doing this and then they, oh, oh like this. And I was waiting for that, oh, oh moment. Only she didn't have that moment. She just... <laughs> She just barreled straight in and hit it with the top of her head. And when she hit the metal, it was like, and everybody's looking over at her. And she just started to wobble on her high heels. And I thought, oh, she's going down. <laughs> but she kept it together and, and kind of shook her head and looked around. Everyone's staring at her. She looks at the pillar. Word of honor says, who put that there? And then zips on around it. Well, several of us giggled, but I thought, oh, dude, that is me. That is me with all of today's news and what's happening and what's going. Oh, my goodness, Bitcoin is up, Bitcoin is down. I didn't even know what Bitcoin is. It's all just ah. And Joseph says, you keep looking there, you're going to run into something, buddy. And oh, don't we? Don't we just trip all over ourselves when our vision is just right here? He says, how about you and your family look where you're going? How about every time you pray, you grab their hands and you say, Lord, come quickly. How about each day you say, maybe Jesus will come today. And how about every day you put him first. And when you do, when you do, people will see. And they'll say, where are you going? And you get to tell them, soon and very soon. We are going to see the king. Now, if you listen to this lesson to think, oh man, I, I'm sorry, I can't handle the Pollyanna. 
You don't know the kind of difficulties that I've had. You don't know the losses I've had over the last couple of years, clearly. You know you're right, I don't. I know God does. And this lesson is not meant to say, oh yeah, the hurts don't matter. But it is meant to say this, no matter how bad things get, God will still be faithful. Amen? That's that's the Roadrunner. You guys remember the Roadrunner cartoon, right? Did you guys have the Roadrunner here in Texas? I think you did the Roadrunner. The little bird, right? Always wily coyote. And and somehow the bird was brilliant. I mean, he was brilliant. He managed to get out of every single trap that wily coyote ever laid. And I thought, how does he do it? He's he's just so smart. I I was in high school or college before it hit me. Do you know how the bird got out of all the trouble? He had an agreement with the writer. No matter what he got into, the writer of the cartoon would just write him out of it. And a friend of mine said, dude, that's what we have with Jesus. No matter how bad coronavirus or anything else gets, God has said, lo, I am with you always. And in the end, I'll come take you home. So what if something bad happened to me? What if tomorrow my wife and I get on a plane flying out of Houston and and when it bursts up into the sky at 2,000, 3,000 feet, there's a big shutter, and we look, and the right engine just cracks and falls off. And at the same instant, the left engine flames out. And at the same moment, the pilot has a stroke. And the co-pilot looks over, and that scares him, and he has a heart attack. And, and a guy sitting in front of me jumps up and says, I'm a terrorist. He's got bombs all over him. And the lady behind me drops her cigarette and lights the plane on fire. I mean, every bad thing that could happen, happens. And our plane is now flying straight towards the ground, powerless. And Satan's saying, oh yeah, right. Look where you're going. Where are you going now, buddy? Well, you know what the last thing Satan's going to hear from me is when that plane explodes is, meet, meet, and I'm going to heaven. <laughs> because we have an agreement with the writer. Tell the person next to you, you've got an agreement with the writer. Go ahead and tell them that. Or do you? If you've never given your heart and life to Jesus, the writer of history would like to make an agreement with you. He so loved you that he gave his only begotten son for you. And if you're willing to pick up your eyes off the here and now and look to the there and then and trust in something you cannot see and be confident, he says, I will give you life eternal. If you've never been baptized into Jesus, Ronnie, or any of the other staff here, in fact, any of the Christians on your row would love to share with you that that's the best decision you will ever make is to trust in Jesus. Can I get a oh yeah? And, and the many here who have already done that. How many baptized believers we got in the house here? I thought there might be a couple. All right, for you, Houston's waiting, Sugarland's waiting, Pearland's waiting, Katie's waiting. When you leave here, Today, look where you're going. Not not just to the restaurant, not just to the house. But look where you're going eternally. Because that's the direction that will set everything else right in your life. 